it's such a breath of fresh air to work in the cooperative movement, which kind of embodies this, how we've survived since the beginning, since we were cave people, they survived through cooperation, <laughs> right? That's still what we're doing is taking this, how we survived over time, co- cooperation and mutual aid and actually putting it into a business model. And you might forget that sometimes. So you just go into Little Food Co-op, get some awesome stuff from their bowl section, pick up a local cheese. You know, you might just be like, oh, I'm just grocery shopping. So it's nice to be able to think about, well, what's actually behind that? What makes co-ops different? Howdy ho, co-opsters. No, no. No, I tried a new opening. It did not work. <laughs> Reset, restart, erase that from your memories, please. <laughs> Let's go again. Hi everyone, my name is Anastasia, and this is another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. I've been doing pretty well these past few months. How are you doing? The next 30 seconds or so are for you to share your answer, and I will totally pretend to listen to you. Ready? Go. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Oh my gosh. No, definitely. Yeah. (gasps) That's so cool. Yeah? Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to cut you off there. What? No. No, wait, what? No, I'm sorry. Excuse me? Yeah, this is my show. You should feel lucky that I gave you any time at all. Okay, please stop so I can continue telling you what's in store for this episode. Thank you. This episode, we're going back to co-op basics again. This time, we're talking about co-op principle number six, cooperation among cooperatives. I think this is personally one of my favorite co-op principles because I think it's one of the things that really sets us apart from non-co-ops. Because you see, while each individual co-op obviously wants ourselves to succeed, We also want all co-ops in general to succeed too. When us as individuals succeed, the cooperative concept succeeds too. And when the co-ops as a whole are successful, it helps each individual co-op become more successful. Does that make any sense? I imagine when modern co-ops started off this idea of, well, cooperating, it was difficult to explain and get people on board with. However, according to the Cooperative Brochure Network, cooperation among cooperatives was a necessity in the beginning of the modern co-op era. When co-ops are not communicating with each other, each has to continually reinvent the wheel and repeat mistakes that have already been solved at other co-ops. Plus, when co-ops work together, they create better corporate structures and operational efficiencies. This is all a great idea to think about, but sometimes it's still hard for me to think of it in practice. That's why for this episode of That's Rad, I've brought in some real experts on cooperation among cooperatives. First, we're going to hear from Bonnie Hudspeth of the Neighboring Food Co-op Association, a secondary level co-op in the Northeast. We'll also hear from Molly Snell-Larch, about her work as a co-op consultant at Columinate, which is also a co-op, where she helps other co-ops become better co-ops. That might be the most confusing thing I've ever said, but hopefully listening to Molly will help it make more sense. Plus, I'm talking with David Hale on behalf of the Caledonia Food Co-op in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. David and his team are working to bring a food co-op to the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont and you're going to hear him explain how much of a difference principle number six makes when you're building a co-op from the ground up. And as always, we're giving you a new product to pick up on your next shopping trip. And with that exciting preview, let's get started. 
Everyone, please help me welcome our first guest to the podcast. Bonnie is in charge of cooperative development for the Neighboring Food Co-op Association, or NFCA. If that's a new acronym for you, that's completely fine because you're about to hear all about it. But before I let our guests tell you all about it, I just want to say, Bonnie, thank you for coming on today. It's really great to be here, and I'm excited to get to share a little bit more about our food co-op and what the Neighboring Food Co-op Association is doing. Before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your cooperative journey? How did you come to be where you are today? Absolutely. So I was going to school in Keene, New Hampshire, and I asked, you know, I was new to the community, and I asked one of the my teachers, I said, well, where do people grocery shop around here? I like to eat local food, support farmers. And he said, you know, well, they drive across the river into Vermont to shop at the Brattleboro Food Co-op, go to the farmer's market, and, you know, maybe shop at a couple grocery stores around here. And so, you know, I did that too. I would shop in 10 different places. And right around this time, the community was bringing together the local conservation district was bringing together these community conversations around supporting farmers in our region and the fact that there was no stable year-round market in in Cheshire County. And a lot of people, including the farmers, the farmers said, well, we don't know what people want. We don't know what products to expand. And the community members were like, we want year-round access to local food. And so from these conversations, People were like, well, why don't we start a food cooperative that could be owned by the community and could one of its main goals could be prioritizing being a year-round stable market where people could buy local food and where farmers would have a place to sell. So I was just finishing school, and I was supposed to do some project, you know, like a capstone or a thesis or a master's project, and I did not want to write a big bunch of paper that would sit on the shelf. And so ended up working to organize, to explore organizing a food co-op. And four years later, and a million dollars raised in community loans and over a thousand founding member owners later, we were able to open the Monadnock Food Co-op, sharing from inspiration of food co-ops all around the region, including Littleton Food Co-op, who had opened your doors a couple years before. So um, that's how I came to get into the cooperative movement. And in the four years I was working, I don't even want to tell you how many hours a week (laughs) of doing community organizing and bringing it together and fundraising and trying to put together the founding board of directors, recognizing how different food co-ops are and what a powerful model they are for building up resources in our community and really having ownership and control stay in our community. So after that, I was like, caught the co-op bug, and neighboring food co-op association's executive director, Irvin, brought me out to eat Thai food and was like, hey, how would you like to help other communities open food co-ops across the region and help build up this federation of 40 food co-ops? Now, now it's 40 food co-ops working together and startups toward the shared vision of a thriving economy based on cooperatives and a healthy, just, and sustainable food system. And I said, well, that sounds pretty fun. Count me in. So that's how I came to work for in the co-op movement. <laughs> it's so funny that when you started that story, I thought I knew – where it was heading that you were going to say, oh, everyone starts at the Monadnock Food Co-op and then goes from there. And then <laughs> when you start mentioning Black Brattleboro, I was like, wait, what? That's cool that you got to see one kind of from start to, I don't want to say finish, but start to um, to completion. And now you get to do that all the time, I should say. Uh, yeah. I guess the... The next logical question would be, what is the Neighboring Food Co-op Association? You said it a little bit there, but just can you give us a little bit more of a um, definite definition? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you mentioned the acronym, right? It's a long name. Sometimes I say Neighboring Food Co-op, but the association part is important. The Neighboring Food Co-op Association, or NFCA, is a federation or kind of a group 
of cooperatives. So we're actually structured as a co-op. So we're a cooperative of 40 food co-ops, including Littleton Food Co-op and Banana Food Co-op and Hanover Co-op and, you know, many other co-ops around New England and also startups across New England and New York State and that are working together with the shared vision, right, of a cooperative, thriving cooperative economy and a healthy, just, sustainable food system. So um, if you go into any food co-op, you should be able to understand when you walk through the doors, yeah, <laughs> I get why these co-ops are working toward this shared vision. And so what's really cool about our food co-ops working together is that we're jointly owned collectively more than 100, by more than 150,000 people like you and me. And together our food co-ops generate, you know, substantial annual revenue, like 300, over $340 million the last time we took, we surveyed our members. And um, because our co-ops are locally owned, they also have an outsized impact in their community. So, you know, together our co-ops employ over 2,300 people, which is significant jobs in our region. And last year, purchased over $93 million of local, from local suppliers. That means money going directly into the hands of farmers and local producers and staying in our region versus being extracted and given to some, you know, corporation somewhere across the world or across the country. So so our mission through NFC is really to use our collective strength and support to support the shared growth and innovation and also the success of food co-ops across the Northeast. Those statistics are just incredible. I mean, we gather our own statistics at the Littleton Food Co-op, and I always think those are magnificent, but seeing them multiply by 40-plus, it's like, wow, co-ops really do have an impact, especially when they work together. Um, exactly. And, and it's kind of, at least in my opinion, thinking about uh, some sort of federation like NFC, it seems kind of like a no-brainer. Like, yeah, let's all work together. We're all co-ops. But, I mean, at one point, it didn't. that didn't exist. So how did NFCA come to be? Like, how did, how did we all come together? Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny where you're like, it seems logical, right? Why wouldn't we work together? And that's a great question. Um, so, you know, a lot of us know that food co-ops have been pioneers from healthy food to organic agriculture, fair trade, renewable energy, really empowering people to work together in their own communities to build stronger, more resilient communities. But at the same time, Food Co-ops has not always been proactive in working together to measure and communicate our collective impact, right, and to share our difference in a competitive marketplace. So, you know, regional collaboration thinking outside of our geographic borders <laughs> and think about, like, what, is, what if we work together across our region it gives us an opportunity for pooling our resources and getting scale. And I'll give you a couple of examples of what we're able to do together that not just one food club could do. So with this idea in mind of, like, what could we achieve together that we can't as individuals, a group of managers and board members from food co-ops that would later form the Neighboring Food Co-op Association, they met in 2004. Um, so we're talking, you know, over a decade ago to explore working together. And in 2007, this group gathered and approved in Vermont and approved this thing called the Middlebury Manifesto, which was kind of like, like it sounds, a manifesto laying out and agreeing to work together to like further the ideals of democracy and cooperation and education and also to provide, they set in the manifesto is like providing occasions for collective action to build a cooperative economy in our geographic region, right? So, and, and one of the original members of this group said, made t-shirts saying, no longer blanking in isolation. And sometimes I would like fill in naughty words in that, in the blank, but like you can say a lot of things, right? Like, no yeah. longer operating in isolation, no longer communicating in isolation, no longer selling in isolation. So we're stronger together, right? So these four, these uh, food co-op board and staff leaders from these 17 food co-ops came together and formed the Neighboring Food Co-op Association with this shared vision. And fast forward to now, this year we're celebrating our 10th anniversary. Woo! 
And the NFCA is made up, you know, now we have 40 food clubs and startups that are locally owned by more than 152,000 people. And um, like I said, you know, that we sell sell more than like over $93 million in local products. So now we have this, we're, we're able to achieve part of this founding vision and mission of like what, what are we able to do together and when we work collaboratively? Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying really is that NFCA is all about helping co-ops and our collective um, co-op principles and mission and vision really just drive even further, get even more money into the economy and do the things that we couldn't do by ourselves and do the things that we don't have to do by ourselves because it sounds like what you're um, – another thing is that, like, I'm sure with the isolation part, like, someone in Vermont was having this problem that someone in New Hampshire has already fixed, and if there was just that communication or that bridge, which is you, they wouldn't have that. Totally, and I love that you said bridge. I feel like I am – so, you know, doing the role of bridge in my job, of someone will say, like, who has a G, you know, a couple reach out, who has a GN, general manager that has done X? Who has gone through an expansion during the pandemic? Who has, people will ask me these questions and I'll say, oh, this is the, the person that you want to talk to. So it's fun being that bridge and so that, you know, that co-ops aren't operating in isolation and if they're dealing with a really big challenge that they have another person like beyond us as staff i'm one of two and a half staff it's really three staff but two full-time and one part-time position that that we're able to be those connectors and you know when someone says who is a bulk manager that sounds a good way for folks to safely get spices bulk spices during covid you know i'll be like oh i've got the perfect person to talk to so being an intentional shared collaborative group is really is really exciting. And so, yeah, I can share an example of, of what NFCA does to support our co-op. That would be great. So, like, beyond doing marketing and educational programs and sourcing initiatives, which we'll talk a little bit about, and also, you know, you kind of hit on peer networking and mutual support, which can also just be, like, knowing that you're not alone in dealing with challenges on peer call. And so we have, you know, one example is our healthy food access programs that came out of our community's needs. So in 2007, when the impacts of the the first global recession we've dealt with recently, right, were hurting our communities, NFCA worked in collaboration with partners. Like, that's another piece of making our work go farther. We worked with Cooperative Fund in New England, um, with the Farmers Union, uh, New England Farmers Union and Hunger Free Vermont to launch our food co-ops and healthy food access initiative because people in our communities were saying, you know, we recognize that there's, we're struggling with, people are struggling to put food on our tables right now. We want to make sure that everyone in our community is able to afford healthy food for their families. And so, um, you know, recognizing this growing challenge of food insecurity in our region, we reached out to community organizations to better understand the issue and develop strategies among our food co-ops to help make healthy food more accessible. And so this resulted in coordinate, helping us coordinate a strategy and launch Food for All initiative, which is a need-based discount program to help everyone put food, good food on the table. And so what I did is convened a group for monthly calls. At first it was in person. Then it was monthly calls where we were actually figuring out how do you plan these needs-based discount programs? How do we make sure they're legal? So we were working with the national federal offices with food and nutrition, right? So, and then also connecting to food security partners to be like, how should these programs be designed? And then learning from a couple food co-ops who already had these programs in place. And in the end, we were able to help 13 food co-ops roll out these food for all programs and also have significant increases in membership as a result. So this is kind of one story that gives a snapshot of how, you know, this need came from our communities. Our communities 
asked our food co-ops, we, you know, some community members were like, we need to make sure these our co-ops are responding to this need. Our co-ops organized through this network of food co-ops, neighboring food co-op associations, to work with each other, plan best practices, figure out timelines, figure out budgets, and roll these programs out. So that's just one story to kind of share how we're able to support our co-ops and how we really respond to and led by our communities, ultimately. I think that's a great example, too, because um, we have our own healthy food access program here at the Littleton Food Co-op, and I think it's always great for our members to see that even if you go to a different food co-op, you still find so many of the same practices and ideals and principles as you do back at home. And going back to something you said in your previous answer, I really like how you used the phrase, it was like an intentional sharing of resources, because I think that's what makes this all different than, you know, the standard business world. Like this whole episode is about how the principle of cooperation among cooperatives separates us from everyone else. Like, anyone could do this kind of unintentional sharing, you know, especially now that we have the Internet and resources are easier to find than ever, but co-ops are going kind of out of their way to make sure everything is intentionally shared. I'm so glad you hit on that because I think it's something that, for anyone that works in the co-op movement, you feel like you're transformed and, and, like, walking into a new reality. I mean, when I was working in, to help start Monadnock Food Co-op, I would reach out to these, you know, one of our co-ops has three stores and is this large, you know, been around for 80 years and super successful. And I was like, could, could you share a business plan with us? And the old general manager, Terry Appleby, was like, here you go, like, slapped it on, on the desk. And and that's – it just shocked me about, like, how sharing and how supportive food co-ops are of each other. And it, it it's, like, very different model than cutthroat dog-eat-dog competition where profit's the bottom line. And I think when profit's not the bottom line, our co-ops can innovate and give a discount to people in the community to help them make sure that they can get food on their plates, right? And that's – that's something that conventional grocery stores, their, their shareholders, all their, like, profit is the bottom line. So that doesn't incentivize them to look out for the needs of their staff. It doesn't incentivize them to look out to, you know, prioritize the health and safety of their customers. And so if, <clears throat> when profit's not your bottom line and, you know, the, the need of the community that owns co-ops and is that the co-op is accountable is the bottom line, you're able to be innovative and you're able to be creative and to do really amazing things to meet community needs. So I'm really glad that you brought that out because it does, it's such a breath of fresh air to work in the cooperative movement, which kind of embodies this, how we've survived since the beginning, since we were cave people, they survived through cooperation, (laughs) right? That's still what we're doing is taking this, how we've survived over time, cooperation and mutual aid and actually putting it into a business model. And you might forget that sometimes you just go into Little Food Co-op, get some awesome stuff from their bowl section, pick up a local cheese. You know, you might just be like, oh, I'm just grocery shopping. So it's nice to be able to think about, well, what's actually behind that? What makes co-ops different? Definitely. So I know you mentioned that you're kind of serving as this bridge, you know, between different co-ops and helping with that intentional sharing. Um, But are there any other ways that the co-ops within the Neighboring Food Co-op Association interact with and support one another? Absolutely. So, you know, from the beginning, our association has really prioritized creating opportunities for networking, collaboration, and mutual support among all of our food co-ops. And so this has included gatherings in our region for staff and board members of food co-ops, doing workshops and trainings, doing tier dialogues that are really supporting our staff and directors of getting to know each other and sharing ideas so that they can pick up the phone and call each other when there's an issue. Or a great example is some of our co-ops are redoing their bulk bins, their bulk sections right now. And so we just had a peer group call with bulk department managers. And one of our food co-ops in Brattleboro was getting rid of some bins. And a co-op up in northern Vermont was like, 
oh, I need some, I need some of those, those both bins. And so, you know, that's just one example of just sharing resources. But, but beyond that, you know, getting, reaching out and, and just asking for a connection or asking for solidarity. Like, have you ever dealt with this? Um, you know, that's, that's another example too. And, and our boards, you know, just as our, our staff without connection could feel isolation for towns that they're dealing with, our boards probably feel the same thing too, right? So our boards really like getting connected as well because the board of neighboring food co-op association <clears throat> is also made up of nine people from, from nine different co-ops across our region that are elected through the membership, just like at Littleton Food Co-op, you know, you elect your board of directors to kind of represent the needs of members. So we do the same thing to make sure, and our board represents the diversity of our association, which is, you know, including large urban food co-ops with thousands and thousands of members and small rural grocery stores who have a couple hundred members. And so that, you know, that that board structure allows us to stay real to the needs of our members in addition to all of these trainings and, and tier things that we offer, people will say, well, we really need this as a resource. Could you do that? Right. And so then they're able, we're able to create a resource and then share it back with all of our food co-ops who are then able to put it into place. So speaking of needs of the members, if I'm a member of a co-op and then they're a member of your co-op, does that mean I'm a member of two co-ops? So, like, in other words, do I, the consumer, see any benefits from my co-op being a member of the Neighboring Food Co-op Association? That is such a great question. I love it. And, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, as a member of your local food co-op, you notice the benefits of NFCA through the innovations in your co-op that have come from the collective collaboration and sharing of ideas. So you might not directly know that, but you'll see, like, we raise awareness about the different co-ops make in their communities and across the region at conferences. And another thing is that we worked with the National Cooperative Business Association, which is a national group for all types of co-ops, to make sure that food co-ops were able to benefit from the small business administration programs, right? So make sure that people, like, don't forget our food co-ops and making sure they're getting resources. And also, like, as a shopper on the shelves, you can support farmers in our region and buy frozen fruits and vegetables produced in our region versus things that are grown and transported over 3,000 miles from California or even further away through our farm-to-freezer program, which is only possible from our co-ops coming together. So, you know, our food, the farm-to-freezer program happened because our food co-ops were like, hey, our customers are asking for local products that, you know, in certain areas. And so the co-ops were like, okay, what are what are the five top areas where, where customers were asking for something to be produ- produced in our region, which they were having to bring in from California? And local frozen fruits and vegetables were one of these examples. So from that, our co-ops were able to pilot and, and say, okay, well, let's test this out. How many pounds of frozen blueberries does Littleton Food Co-op want? How many pounds of frozen blueberries does Buffalo Mountain Food Co-op want? And put together an estimate and then give that commitment to growers and then have local growers produce them, right? So that's an example of our collective volume being able to allow us to do a pilot project that an individual co-op would never really be able to do. So obviously this entire time, we've I think we've covered the basis of why co-ops collaborate and why it's important for them to collaborate, but just to really bring it home, do you you share one, like, the most important, in your opinion, reason why co-ops should collaborate with each other? Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I honestly think if if co-ops didn't work together, they probably wouldn't exist. Like, the laws allowing people to form co-ops would not exist the policymakers would ignore them, right? Without our co-ops collaborating and pushing together, people would not know what a co-op is and what makes them different. And our co-ops would not be able to communicate their shared impact, just like we were talking about. But more than this, you know, by working together, our co-ops can strengthen our communities and share ideas and innovate and ultimately increase our community's resilience and the resilience and success of our co-ops, both here and around the world. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's still, we've gone through this whole thing, and I, I understand why why co-ops work together and how co-ops work together. But it's still so crazy to kind of step back from our cooperative world sometimes and think about us in this larger picture of a capitalist society where the idea is competition, everything for oneself, and we are constantly kind of having to work against that idea and put cooperation over competition in an economy that wasn't made for that and wasn't built for that. And I think we can see now that it's it's kind of like a double-edged sword, like putting cooperation over competition is what got us in this position of having to fight against it, but it's also the thing that's keeping us afloat. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. Like, how are we, how are we able to survive in a competitive, you know, in a in an economy based on competition? And I think some people would argue that competition is basic to human society. Um, but I would argue that, like, so many studies and looking at throughout history, cooperation or working together for mutual benefit is at the heart of our success as a species. And it's how we've survived. And so cooperation is all around us, but it's not always visible. I think that's the thing, right? And I think part of the challenge is that it's not taught in our – the cooperative – even though the cooperative business model is more successful, especially over time, and there's a number of studies that demonstrate this, it's not taught in our schools, colleges, or universities. Like, why would a more successful model of business not be taught? And we're working to change that, by the way. Part of what we do from NFCA is we've come up with curricula. Our executive director teaches about that. But, you know, how can people learn about cooperatives as a business model? And and if they don't know about them, if they work to form their own business and they go and try to incorporate and they don't see cooperative, good cooperative law in their state, they're like, oh, or they don't even know to look. They'll just be like, oh, we're an LLC, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know. But but the reality is is that the majority of rural communities across our country would not have electricity if not for electric co-ops. So the majority of our land mass is powered by cooperatives. Did you know that? I didn't know that, you know? I definitely did not know that. Right. And and the majority of family farmers in our country are actually co-op members whether through grain co-ops, marketing distribution co-ops, there's, you know, they farmers have used the cooperative structure to survive, especially rough times. And dairy farmers, we know, many of us know the the challenges of dairy farmers. And one of our, one of a, a co-op on the shelf that you might be aware of is Organic Valley, which is a farmer cooperative. And Organic Valley has helped dairy co-ops that were going under transform and survive. It's saved dairy farmers through a cooperative structure. So that's just kind of one example. But overall, a third of Americans are members of at least type one co-op or credit union. But you'd never, you'd never think that, would you? Because of how little we hear co-ops talked about overall. No. So we're, yeah. we're working to change that. And so what's funny is that, like, even though a lot of people can't tell you what makes co-ops unique, when surveys by the Consumers Union and other organizations consistently show that people trust cooperatives more than other businesses. And so that's one of our advantages, right? Because co-ops are owned and democratically governed by their members, who are the people that use them and meet their needs, people trust co-ops more and will go out of their way to shop at them, even if they don't fully understand what they are. So, you know, if a co-op wants to be successful, we encourage them to work with other co-ops and credit unions to communicate their cooperative identity and help share what makes co-ops different and help tell people how to get involved. And, you know, I think during the last year, a lot more people were like, we want more control over where we get our food. We want to be able to trust. I think trust is a word that comes up a lot when people think of co-ops. And do you trust that your community can come up with the answers? Or do you, would you trust a corporate leader that lives across the country or across the world who has never stepped foot in your community. And I think that's something that's really appealing. 
is that more and more people are recognizing the importance of local knowledge and local infrastructure and local wealth and and trusting trusting our neighbors. And I think that makes it much much more powerful <laughs> when you have the ability to walk into a grocery store that you own. You own you to own a piece of a grocery store, like incredibly important community infrastructure with your neighbors that can reflect back what you need as a community. And people are going to be more loyal, right? That's partly how co-ops are not only surviving but thriving in a capital society. And, and you know, during the recession, the last recession of 2008 to 11, that kind of era, our co-ops actually grew. They not only survived the recession when many businesses closed, they thrived. They expanded. They added new members, more people. And there was a whole thing where people jumped from banks to credit unions, you know, financial co-ops, because of trust. They were like, wow, the poo really hit the fan <laughs> when, when you know, what was happening on Wall Street. And it made people recognize, like, oh, we want to put invest our money in community-owned resources like credit unions and food co-ops. You know, I don't think I could have said any of that better myself. <laughs> So thank you for taking on that that real challenge that has been living in my brain, I think, since I entered the cooperative world. So you just celebrated or celebrating your 10-year anniversary of NFCA. Going forward, you know, I'm sure you have a lot in store. Uh, how can people stay connected with NFCA and find out what's going on across our cooperative region for the next 10 and hopefully more years. We, you know, 10 years ago, thinking back to when our founding co-ops moved from an ideal idea to a reality, you know, since then we've been educating the public and policymakers around our impact and innovating new programs and ideas and supporting success and growing new food co-ops. So looking forward, we're kind of, you know, we're excited to build on the success and take the next step in, you know, continuing to work on this vision of a healthy, just, sustainable food system and thriving community of cooperators. And uh, I would encourage folks, you know, we post a lot of information on our Facebook page, and we also have a monthly newsletter. It's only once a month. We're not going to flood your inbox. So I would say if you go to NFCA, as in Neighboring Food Co-op Association, nfca.coop, from there, you can sign up for our newsletter, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can learn more about what our member co-ops are doing. We also post about the wider cooperative economy, sharing recipes, educational resources, and much more, of course. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie, for this. This was a great opportunity to learn not only more about NFCA, but also just about how co-ops take part in our regional and national economy and how they really continue to benefit us before NFCA existed and now even more so and hopefully way more into the future. So thank you. As Bonnie mentioned, the Neighboring Food Co-op Association sponsors a farm-to-freezer program that you can find in our frozen aisle and is going to be our product of the week this week. By working together with local farmers and co-ops, the Farm to Freezer program increases the availability of healthy, sustainably grown, regionally sourced fruits and vegetables. And it increases the market season for farmers of the Northeast. You can find a variety of fruits and veggies here at the Littleton Food Co-op throughout the year, like berries, green beans, and corn. And they all come in clear packaging so you can see the quality waiting for you inside. Pick up a bag of NFCA farm-to-freezer veggies or fruit on your next trip to the Littleton Food Co-op in the frozen aisle, aisle six. Okay, everyone, I'm so excited to welcome my next guest to the episode. Molly Snell-Larch is here with us today to tell us a little bit about her experience working with Columinate. Now, you may 
have heard that name either around the co-op or in our past episodes. But if you're not familiar with Columinate, this is a great chance to learn it more. And I don't want to give away anything. So first of all, I'm going to welcome Molly. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And just let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Columinate? Sure. So um, I am from Rochester, New York, born and raised. Um, I live there now. And I got started with Columinate actually not that long ago. I think I joined Columinate in May or June of 2020. So Columinate is, is a consulting cooperative. So um, it's a cooperative of consultants who primarily consult for other cooperatives, so that's kind of a a tongue twister there. But really it helps co-ops and purpose-driven organizations form the foundation of strong communities, right? Organizations like co-ops often face unique challenges. Um, A lot of them are well-known and have been around for a long time, but some might be new, and in moments of change, which we've seen a heck of a lot of in this last year, uh, you need a partner who shares your purpose, right? So Columinate shines a light. That's sort of where we, we get our name. We shine a light on, on clear paths forward uh, to help co-ops and other types of organizations thrive. So our consultants, of which there are basically any type of sort of professional consulting you could need, I bet you there's a Columinate consultant who does that. Um, and, and we just share really strategies, tools, and skills to help organizations build and empower community. So we're really expert partners with a flexible approach designed around whoever we're working with, their specific goals, right, be that a food co-op, a housing co-op, um, a nonprofit. It really, really runs the gamut. And we really work together as a connected team dedicated to helping you achieve sustainable success. So. That's sort of the, the backstory around Columinate. We're sort of well-known for food co-op work, I think, historically in the co-op world. But like I said, by no means restricted to that. So you said you're relatively new to Columinate. What was your experience with co-ops before you started working for one? So I actually got my start professionally in the cooperative world. So I consult with Columinate sort of as a as a moonlighting type situation, my side hustle. Um, my day job, I work with housing co-ops, specifically manufactured housing cooperatives in here in New York State. And um, so those are folks who live in manufactured housing. They tend to, if they live in a, a mobile home park or a manufactured housing community, they tend to rent the land from a, typically an investor, but they own their home. So They've sunk a lot of equity into that home, but they don't have the stability of traditional home ownership. So these resident-owned communities allow folks to um, form a housing co-op, really, to, to buy the land. So that's how I've gotten my, my sort of professional start in cooperatives is, is primarily with housing co-ops. And then, you know, I, I, I'm sort of one of those people. <laughs> I have, like, my dad took me to the local credit union when I was 16 to open my first, you know, savings account, and, um, you know, I I have a long history with our local food co-op here in Rochester, Abundance, so that's sort of my experience with co-ops on a personal level, too. There is no shame in being a co-op geek here on this podcast, <laughs> so you touched on this a little when you were explaining um, Columnate, but can you maybe get into more of the detail about how exactly Columinate helps the cooperative community. I know you have different areas of expertise mm-hmm. for your consultants, if you want to talk about that a little. Sure, yeah. So I think in in sort of a general sense, cooperative ownership is such an interesting model because you're you're creating this this entity that you're hoping will be competitive and in a traditional, you know, market, be it a food co-op, housing co-op, anything like that. And then you're you're having you're saying we want it to be by the members for the members. So part of what that means is, is you're having 
a board of members who may or may not actually have any expertise in, you know, just using the food co-op example, in grocery or managing a business even. So um, I think something that I think of Columinate really as doing is, is having a wide variety of professionals who have been working with food co-ops for their whole careers or, or, you know, they have a lot of professional experience in doing that and, and helping folks so that board members can really learn and boards as a whole can really learn to be the best board they can be without having to feel like, you know, a lot of folks I work with, they, they are hesitant to, to run for a board position or something like, something like that because it just seems like such a big responsibility, right? How could I ever be in charge of or not in charge of, but a part of making decisions for a multi-million dollar corporation. Uh, you know, I'm just little old me. So I think that, you know, helping folks feel like they have some professional assistance, someone who's sort of done this before, they, they don't have to reinvent the wheel, can just be super helpful in empowering boards to feel like they, they actually do have the tools to make the decisions they need to make, right? Someone uh, once told me, overwhelming people with responsibility or information, overwhelming them in any respect is not uh, not empowerment, right? So we need to give folks, sort of offer them a manageability um, and feel like th- this is something they can tackle, that they have the tools to do so. And I think I think of Columinate as functioning in that way, right? Really plugging in to be like, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. This has been done before. You're going to bring your community expertise and your flavor to it, and we can help with sort of a, the basic building blocks like, you know, a policy register, right, bylaws, things like that. And, you know, just as an example, we have some folks who do interim general manager work. So if a, if a co-op is sort of finds themselves in need of a general manager for whatever reason, you can plug in someone who's been doing this for a long time who knows you know, the business, because as you know, general managers are, it's a unique job, I think, the general manager of a co-op, a food co-op, and not everyone can do it, especially not overnight. So so we have interim general managers who can kind of plug in and assist in that way. And then you mentioned some work with uh, LaDonna. Um, So we have folks who do, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, which has certainly become even more of a focus this year and pretty much anything <laughs> anything that a co-op could need there's some type of support Columinate could could have a consultant to provide for HR support things of that nature yeah lots of stuff <laughs> yeah and from what you're saying it sounds like especially in talking with boards that you're not taking away anyone's unique capabilities that they bring to the table. You know, we're not, you're not creating Mm -hmm. the standard board member. You're just helping them with all of those co-op specific things and board specific things that they, as great and as much needed as their personal experience is bringing to the table, they might just not have picked up anywhere along the way because where else would you would you get those skills from? So that sounds there like a very useful thing that you're bringing to the table. Well, thank you. So on this whole theme of co-ops helping co-ops, do you think when you help a co-op through Columinate, it's like a one-way exchange, like you are giving them all the help, or do you end up walking away with new knowledge, new experiences, things like that? That's a really good question. I think one of the things I really love about co-ops and really love about doing this work is that I learn something new literally every day, which I know that that's just something (laughs) that people say, but I really think that every co-op's culture is a little bit different or a lot different. Every co-op has a different way of doing things, and and then each board member even, you know, brings something to the table, as you said. So um, I think by no means is, is, is it a one-way exchange. Um, I learn something from board members and general managers all the time. And I think especially me being pretty new to this line of work, cooperatives just provide such a training ground for, honestly, like, 
just communication, even like the basics of becoming a better communicator and, and thinking about how we relate to each other, which is so important, I think, on a personal and professional level, something I learn a lot about from co-op boards, too, is um, how do we cooperate in the, in the truest sense of the word, right? I think in a lot of ways, our lives in society, not to get too much into it, but it is, is not designed, we're not really taught, I don't think, how to cooperate. You know, there's a big premium on individualism, I think. And and so I think our, our these co-ops really stretched our, our brains and our, our relational sort of skills to to think about how to really, you know, enter these endeavors as a as a unit and as a cohesive uh, board, which doesn't mean you don't have disagreements. It's just such an interesting model that I, I think I learn from every day, and it brings such interesting people to the table, um, and I just really love that. So, yes, I learn something new every day. How is the work that you do for co-ops and nonprofits different from working for a for-profit company, would you say? That's a good question. I guess the thing about co-op that I said before is it's, it's by the people and for the people, right? The board's power is derived from the membership which it is designed to serve. So it's sort of this, this cycle of accountability that I think for-profits sometimes lack, or I shouldn't say they lack, but perhaps the, the word is, I think they, need, they maybe need to be more intentional in building that into their culture, whereas in cooperative culture it's sort of pre- it's preordained in, in the, the, the structure of the co-op. Does that make sense? That makes sense. And something that that reminded me of is kind of the idea that when you're working with a co-op, all of the people you're working with, whether it be the board of directors, the employees, or the members, they probably feel like there's a lot more at stake because mm. they because of that cycle of accountability you were talking about as well as the fact that if you're a member, like, you are an owner. Like, you are a member owner. This right. is your store. This is your home. This is your financial well-being. This is your bank. Like, mm-hmm. uh, whereas when you, whether buy into a for-profit company or you just shop there or you just work there, there's probably some level of separation that no matter how much you love your job, you aren't really, like, directly involved in all of the mm. decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you say that experience is true? Yeah, I think there there is something about when you really internalize cooperative ownership that you do have this, it's, it's sort of a, it's a rights and responsibilities thing, right, where you, you have these privileges of being a member, and then I think you also have uh, an obligation to the co-op, you know, and whatever that is, you know, will vary based on the type of co-op, right? Like maybe you you feel like you should shop more at your food co-op or, you know, all the way up to run for the board, right, or something like that. Um, but I do think, you know, when you've really sort of internalized that, that sense that you are, are an owner in this with, you know, other members of of your community, that can be really powerful. Looking back, is there a past project that you've worked on that you think of as kind of the ultimate co-op success story, whether you define the success by how that co-op is doing now or the amount of support you gave or some other measurement? To me, a co-op success story is where the members really kind of, they understand uh, what it means to be a part of the co-op and they feel the benefit and they feel that sense of agency that I think is really a core part of, of being part of a co-op, right? So we, we create these sort of alternate economic models because the, the maybe in some way the, the current models or the, the more traditional models of, of ownership aren't working for us, right? And so if, if we feel like, wow, this business that I'm an owner in is really working for me, then I think I would think that's a, just a huge co-op success. At the end of the day, if folks feel like, I own this, that means something to me, and I'm getting something out of it, I'm giving something and I'm getting something, I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest co-op successes.
I'm so excited to have on the podcast with me today, David Hale. Hi, David. Thanks again for being here. Hi, Anastasia. So just to start off, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I um, uh, raised on a small farm in Massachusetts, uh, and my family, we raised our own goats and chickens and raised on fresh goat's milk and goat cheese and, and all kinds of fresh produce. Uh, went on to become a professional chef by trade, working in the Napa Valley and uh, places like Nantucket. I came back to teach cooking at New England Culinary Institute, and I'm currently a culinary arts teacher at St. John's Green Academy. Great. So one of the, the main reasons I invited David on today was to talk to us about the Caledonia Food Co-op, which is a co-op in its startup phase being directed by a group of people dedicated to bringing a food co-op to the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. So, David, what is your role in the Caledonia Food Co-op? Uh, right now, I'm a board member and acting as secretary, so I, I handle all of the um, day-to-day interaction via email, uh, getting notifications out to members, answering questions that come through our, our website. And how did the idea to start the Caledonia Food Co-op come to be? And then also, how did you decide to be involved in the creation of the co-op? So the the idea has been bouncing around. We've had a couple of stops and starts, different iterations, different groups. There was a, a small, older, established co-op in town, St. John's Road Food Co-op, that had uh, you know met its demise a number of years ago, and we really wanted to kind of bring a modern, uh, larger co-op to life, uh, for me to become involved is very, very easy. I mean, I have a, a great passion for food. I've uh, been a member at a number of different co-ops in my life. Uh, you know, Hunger Mountain Co-op with my family in Montpelier. When we moved to this side of the, the state, we became members at Littleton Food Co-op, which we absolutely adore. Uh, so it was a very, very easy decision for us to be involved. Uh, I, I, I have a vision for, you know, a larger larger impact on the community. I think that the community would really benefit. Uh, I love the idea of supporting the local producers, local farmers, and I think that a co-op will do a lot of great things for our area. I have a very similar feeling um, from what you were saying about co-ops where it's, I can tell from your background, um, being in a farm and being um, very involved in the culinary world, that you yourself make a individual impact, but I think what you're saying, what I'm feeling is that when you form a co-op, you can form, you can have such a greater impact than you could as an individual on your community. Absolutely. It's, uh, and it's exciting. I mean, the thing that's been great is as we're building our membership, um, you know, we've got all different people coming in for all kinds of different reasons, and food is always a rallying point uh, for everything. Food is a rallying point for families. It's a rallying point for community celebrations, and I think that a co-op just lends itself to that kind of mindset. Exactly. So you're still in the, um, we'll call it startup phase, uh, where you don't uh, physically have a store where people can shop at, but that doesn't mean that you haven't been doing work to get there. So what kind of milestones has the Caledonia Food Co-op reached since its inception, since the, maybe say, the beginning of this iteration of the idea? You know, it's it's been really exciting. The town of St. Johnsbury has been a tremendous partner for us, and they've partnered up with us in grant. Um, we're in the middle of our second grant phase which is identifying a location, working with real a real estate broker to help us identify that, and then starting to work with the local development, uh, NVDA, the Chamber of Commerce, that type of thing, working with different organizations to figure out funding, figure out what's the best path for us forward. Uh, but we, we are we're moving very, very nicely. We're in the middle of a great membership drive, you know, with the goal of at least doubling our membership from where we were at this point last year. And you mentioned help from the town of St. Johnsbury, but another thing that we tend to know about co-ops is that uh, co-ops really like to help other co-ops. It's something that sets us apart from the traditional business structure where it's all about competition. 
So what kind of help have you received from other food co-ops? It's been amazing. The the reception, the willingness from day one has been incredible. Both locally, Carrie Bradley at the, the Hunger Mountain in Montpelier, Ed King in Littleton, the folks down in Hanover and Lebanon, Putney, Buffalo Mountain. We've, we've had questions for many of these. We, we've asked for, you know, financial statements to help us build our own idea of what it was going to take and working with our consultants. It's the reception and the, the feedback and the response has been, it's been overwhelming. You know, I mean, you, you, you touch on it. Littleton's across the river. Littleton's 20 miles away. We're hoping to do something very similar in terms of size, scope, and, and feeling of what Littleton has, and, and Ed and everybody at Littleton, Mike Claflin, who helped get uh, Littleton up and moving, sat in on meetings with us. It's 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 awesome. It really is very impressive. That's great to hear. So I might know your answer from the to this next question from the answer you just gave, but did you expect this level of support from other co-ops? Well, you know, I mean, the, the, word, the word co-op, right, short for cooperative, we expected that there would be there would be support. We didn't expect that it would be as as just enthusiastic and again responsive. I mean, these are busy people. I'm at you know, I send a question uh, to one of these folks and they get right back to me. And then obviously, inevitably, is there anything else you need? Please let us know. And, and ultimately, we're going to be we're going to rely on these other co-ops for more as we continue the process because there's always questions. There's always you know, what vendors are you using? What are your, you know, all there's there's a million questions to ask, and I'm I'm confident that the support will continue. Yeah, I think it might be a an incorrect assumption that people have, where it's like, okay, you open your doors, and the amount of help just like drops to zero, or the amount of questions <laughs> that you have just drops to zero, which, as you said, is clearly not the case. Uh, co-ops have to continue supporting each other for as long as they're all around, no matter what. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, is the stronger the network up here in terms of, you know, boy, if the vendor's coming up with an 18-wheeler, that vendor's happier if there's three short stops with a lot of product on them. I mean, everybody benefits from the strengthened network of co-ops, for sure. That's definitely right. So on your website, this quote that I thought was really interesting you said, we're not inventing anything, just following a known successful path. Can you talk a little bit about what this means? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's an interesting, it's, a, it's an early statement that we put on when we first started the webpage. And it's really to assure people that, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel, that, that we're using tried and true paths. It's amazing. That's the other thing that's incredible is, the organizations overseeing co-ops and the organizations that consult with co-ops. They've got, you know, CFI and, and other organizations just have all these different resources. Uh, we just recently joined a group. There's a group of, of startup co-ops that's being overseen by a co-op organization that's helping us to bounce ideas off of each other. And, and we've run into a challenge here. What are we going to do with that? You know, how, what did you do to drive membership? prior to putting a shovel on the ground. It's just uh, we really – there's so many great resources out there. We'd be crazy not to take advantage of them. We're not sailing in the dark here. Yeah, I think there's sometimes the assumption or the idea in people's head that you have to do it alone to make it your own, but you can do it with other people and still create your own products. You know, even if co-ops help each other, you're not creating the same co-op. Well, then that's the beauty of it. I mean, the 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 ultimate feel, the ultimate environment and product mix and sensibility to store is really going to be driven by the members. And I'm, I'm guessing, and I'm already we already know that we we have crossover members that are members of both. That's the other thing about co-ops too, is that membership people are members at multiple co-ops. Because they support the ideal, they support, they, they like shopping there, there's a different feeling. Littleton has a very different feeling from Hunger Mountain, different feeling from Hanover. I love them all, I think they're all great. And then, you know, I think that we'll create our own sensibility and our own character with our membership. It really sounds like you will do that, and I have complete faith that you will and your members will. So, going forward, 
how can people support the Caledonia Food Co-op? Well, number one thing is become a member, <laughs> for sure. That's the, you know, and it's amazing that that's been that's been really as, as the person I'm the person who receives all the membership requests and uh, do does all the processing. It's really an amazing thing to see how far flung it is. Uh, one of the interesting points in our original market study done by Debbie Suasana, who did the same process for Littleton was she was concerned that we wouldn't be reaching as far out as we are. And then, you know, people are joining there from 50, 60 miles away. They, they want to be a part of something. And so if people are, are willing to join, you know, through this podcast, we're happy for the outreach. We're thrilled. Um, if you don't want to join, if you're already a member in Littleton and you don't necessarily want to join St. Johnsbury, just, you know, Check out our, our newsletter, send send an email to us at office at caledoniafood.coop, and, and I'm happy to get you as much information as we can. Just spread the word. This is this is gonna be a great thing. It's gonna be um it's gonna be very, very exciting once we get going. And it was very exciting to hear about the process straight from the board itself. So again, David, thank you so much for coming on today. If anyone wants to learn more about the Caledonia Food Co-op, you can visit their website, caledoniafood.coop, and that's where you'll see the newsletter David was talking about. That's how you can join, and again, that's just how you can learn more about co-ops and expand your co-op knowledge. I once again want to thank David for coming on and sharing his expertise. While we're lifelong students at the Littleton Food Co-op, it is cool to hear that we are now in a position to also pass along what we've learned to a new generation of co-ops. It was great to hear from Bonnie about what NFCA is doing for us here at the co-op and how that impacts all of you. And how cool is Molly? We don't often get to chat with co-ops that aren't consumer co-ops, and it's always interesting to see our similarities and differences. Thanks to you for listening to another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. I know I yelled at you at the beginning of the episode, and I'm sorry, but now I have a favor to ask. I would love it if you took a moment to look at the screen you're listening to this podcast on. Give us a like, a thumbs up, a heart, whatever it may be. Leave a review if you're feeling really generous. And you're going to want to hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when our next episode is out. And if you have any questions, comments, product recommendations, or self-nominated guest suggestions, make sure to DM us on social media or email marketing at littletoncoop.org. Until next time, remember to eat, sleep, and be rad. That's Rad is a production of the Littleton Food Co-op. Anastasia Marr directs and hosts... Jesse Smith and Annie Stewart produce. Becky Colpitz provides unrelenting positivity and moral support. The Littleton Food Co-op is Littleton, New Hampshire's community-owned grocery store. We put our money where your mouth wants to be. Local farms, of course. No membership is required to shop here. Come check us out sometime, just off exit 41 at 43 Bethlehem Road in Littleton. Or if you're online, Check us out at littletoncoop.com.